Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. So Father, we thank you for, for today and thank you for your word and thank you for uh, the light your word brings. Today, we are asking for revelation about something that is deeply significant in our walk with you, altars. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Right after the children came down from, uh, right after the children had received the Ten, the ten Commandments, uh, God puts in place uh, something that my Bible calls the law of the altar. And altars are significant. They were significant for them in the physical sense. They are very significant for us, not necessarily in the physical sense, but in a very deeply spiritual sense. And we will see that as we spend the next two or three Sundays looking at the significance of altars, the power of altars. In, the, in, in our Bible, if you turn to Exodus, the 20th chapter, um, if you start reading from verse 22, but permit me to skip, skip one or two verses as I go straight to where it starts to talk about an, an altar. An altar of earth you shall make for me, God says, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by my steps, by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. An altar is a structure on which sacrifices are made. Uh, that's what altars were then. Physical structures and they sacrificed animals on it to the Lord. But then, like we are like we understand, everything that they did in a physical sense has a deep spiritual significance for you and I as New Testament believers. An altar was more than a physical thing. It was a place where two realms, the spiritual and the natural, made contact. It was a place where a portal, in a sense, was opened up so that the power of God could be manifest an entry point for one realm to come into another. And you know, in the beginning, there was no need for altars because the divide hadn't been created between man and God. And so there was no need to bridge the gap, that, the, the, to bridge that gap. But then we find that once man sinned, once Adam and Eve committed the sin that we call the fall, in Genesis, the third chapter, we find that a few verses later, the concept of an altar is introduced as Cain and Abel bring their offerings to God. We find that there's a, that the, the concept of the altar is directly mentioned a few chapters later in Genesis, the eighth chapter and the 20th verse after uh, the flood and Noah is delivered from the flood and builds an altar to God. And as we go through the Bible, we find that the theme of the altar is consistent as a place 
of worship, sacrifice, as a place where the power of God is invoked, where in a sense the spiritual realm kisses the natural realm. And we will find that this concept of the altar flows through our entire Christian journey, even as New Testament believers. We will find that as New Testament believers, as we will find, we do have altars. The focus is not the physical anymore, and there's nothing wrong with having physical structures as altars where we can go. But the focus has moved from the spirit, from the physical to the spiritual, as we will find. But then what is the significance of altars? If we understand the natural, we will understand the spiritual. Remember, our journey is one in which we are looking at types and shadows so that we can understand the reality and the substance. We're looking at the natural and it speaks to us deeply about the spiritual that finds fulfillment in my life and your life. And so when we look at the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, we're really looking in a sense at them as a type and shadow of you and I as the church. When we see their journey, we are really in a sense looking at our own journey. When we, when we look to them arriving at a place where they, they, they tread upon God's, God's, God's the promised land, we're looking at you and I entering God's promises. Um, when we look at uh, a type of Moses as a deliverer, we are looking at him as a type of Jesus, our own deliverer. And we can go on and on. When we look at the type and the shadow, it tells us about the substance, the reality, the spiritual that you and I are walking in. So we want to look at the type and the shadow of altars, the characteristics, the nature of altars, the things that happen at altars to help us understand the things that will that happen in our lives as we do what we should with the spiritual altar of our hearts. So what's the first thing that happens at an altar? It's a place of submission. It's a place where we are encouraged at altars to release our all to God, to give our all to God. Now, you know the story of Abraham and his son Isaac waited for 25 years for Isaac and then eventually um, Sarah gets pregnant and has Isaac and Isaac is to inherit everything of his and one day God comes and says to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and a Abraham does regularly Abraham gets ready to do it sets out early in the morning towards the place that God will direct him and when he gets there he takes his son Isaac Genesis the 22nd chapter from verse 9 he binds him and lays him, the Bible says, upon an altar, upon the wood on the altar. And he lifts his hand to, to kill him as a sacrifice to God. Now, he puts his all on the altar. I want you to understand that in our walk with God, we will be called upon now and again to lay certain things that we hold dear, certain things that might have become an impediment to our worship with God, certain things that could have become idols without us knowing them, will be asked to lay these things on the altar. Now, of course, we're not being asked 
as New Testament believers to kill anybody. But what we are being asked is to kill our attachment to these things by releasing them to God. I could tell you many, many stories of, of, of things like this. I remember many years ago, 25 odd years ago, uh, when my wife Shola, newly qualified as a dentist with her dream job uh, in, in her field of dentistry, was asked by God, she knew it was God clearly, to leave everything and come and serve him in the church. Her family must have thought she was absolutely nuts. A lot of her friends thought she was nuts. Who does that? We couldn't even afford to pay her a salary. For years, all we could give her was a token amount of money. It was a major sacrifice. And I remember her sitting in front of me as her pastor then and telling me that she felt God was asking her to give to him what was dearest to her. And at that point in time, what was dearest to her was her career. She had given herself to it. She had seen herself as this dentist working for an international organization. I think it was the World Health Organization, that I, if I remember then. But God said to her, sacrifice it to me. Now, somebody is listening and saying, please, God, don't say that to me. It might not be that. It might be something else. But it's an altar is a place of submission where God can ask us to submit anything to him. And he did that to, uh, to, to Abraham. And listen to the commendation of the angel. The angel said to Abraham, if you look at verses 11 and 12, don't lay your hand on him, don't do anything for him, for by submitting to God in this manner, by sacrificing to him what was dear to you, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son from him. Uh, an altar is a place of submission. Number two, an altar is a place of sacrifice. A place of sacrifice because it, you, you don't put anything on an altar that does not cost you anything. You, what, whatever you put on an altar costs you something. Um, we know the story um, about David where he sinned against God. He, he uh, conducted a census which God didn't want him to conduct. God was angry with him. The wrath of God fell on the community. 70,000 people died. Um, um, uh, David appealed to God. Eventually, God relented at, uh, at the floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And incidentally, that's why we've called our appeal um, an initiative to help each other through this uh, uh, COVID situation, the Aruna Fund. And thank you for all those who gave to the Aruna Fund because that fund has helped so many people, helped loan parents, helped uh, people who couldn't pay their rents, helped put food on people's table, uh, is reached out to so many people, that fund. And, and, and it, we took it from this because the fund, the plague was stopped as a result of what happened at the threshing floor of Aruna, the, the, the Jebusite. But listen to what happens. Well, when David gets there and wants to build an altar to sacrifice to God, he wants to do it on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And, and, and in 2 Samuel 24, from verse 20 to 24, if you follow the narrative, what happens is that when Aruna sees the king coming, he's in awe. He's, 
he's overwhelmed and he says to David, what do you want? David says, well, I, I want uh, your, your, your threshing floor because of course I want to sacrifice to God. Aruna says, you can take it, take it. It's a privilege. It's an honor for, for the king to come and want to use something of mine. Have it for free. But then listen to what David says in verse 24. He, then the king said to Aruna, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. The principle is that there is a cost to building an altar and sacrificing that on that altar. It always costs us something. Please bear this in mind as we go on. Number three, an altar is a place of prayer. If we look at the next verse in that scripture, verse 25, 2 Samuel, uh, the 24th chapter, verse 25. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings so the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. An altar is a place of prayer. I'm praying that by the time of this mini-series within the larger series, this mini-series about altars, you will know how to activate the place, activate the prayer in your, in your altar, how to convert your altar to a place of prayer, and that you will see the kind of answers, the supernatural intervention that David saw. As he built the altar, offered burnt offerings and offered prayers to the Lord, the plague was withdrawn from Israel. You know what has happened in this pandemic period? We have raised many altars in this nation. Many children of God have raised many altars of prayer. And I believe that the incense from our altars of prayer has ascended to the heavens and that our Lord has heard and that by God's grace, he will stay this plague. He will stop this plague uh, in the same way that he did for the plague that, that ravaged Israel and led David to make that sacrifice uh, at the threshing floor of Aruna. An altar is a place of prayer. Number four, an altar is a place of covenant. You know, God is a covenant-keeping God. It's his nature. And altars are places where covenants are made, covenants are reinforced, covenants are strengthened. The Bible says in Genesis, the 8th chapter and the 20th verse, mentioned it earlier on, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord right after the flood, and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. And he goes on to say in verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and, and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Immediately after the flood, after that great deliverance, one of the first things that Noah did was to build an altar to God. And on that altar, he sacrificed 
every clean animal and every clean bird as a burnt offering to the Lord. When the Lord smelled the sweet aroma that came from that altar. And you know, for, 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 for Noah, it was the physical smell. But for us, as we will find out, there's a spiritual incense that can arise from the altars that we build that can, that can arrest God's attention in heaven. When he smelled the aroma, it, it, it moved God to make a covenant. A covenant that I will not curse the ground. And despite the fact that the, the imagination of man's heart is wicked, I will not destroy every living thing. And then he set in motion the, the principle of the seed time and harvest. <clears throat> All that was done as a response to the aroma that came from the altar of Noah and covenants that are functioning 6,000 years later were made. May God give you revelation, give me revelation to enforce and establish, reinforce certain covenants that will stand generations after we have gone because those covenants were made at an altar with God. Number five, a covenant, a, a, an altar is a place of commemorating an encounter with God. You know, after God intervened to, intervened to save Jacob from his brother Esau, that mighty deliverance because Jacob thought he was finished. He had tricked Esau. He had gone away. He had taken everything. He heard Esau was coming towards him with some well-armed soldiers. He begged. God intervened, touched Esau's heart. Esau showed him only love. When you look at Genesis, the 33rd chapter, verses 19 and 20, and I want to read this from the Amplified Classic. The Bible says, Then he bought the piece of land on which he had encamped from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. Again, building an altar will cost you something. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel. For his deliverance, for after that encounter with God, he built an altar and he dedicated that altar to the God who delivered him. He called him the God, the God of Israel. And don't forget, his name had now become, had been changed from Jacob, the trickster, to Israel. He, what he was calling him is the God of my future, the God of my destiny, the God of my tomorrow. At altars, when we, when we, when we establish altars and, and we, we, we reach out to God as a result of God's deliverance in our lives, we at those altars establish our future as we declare God the God of our future. Number six, an altar is a place of rejoicing. And may God give us many altars to rejoice at. May our hearts become a permanent altars of rejoicing. Deuteronomy, the 27th chapter, verses 6 to 8. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and shall not eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. One of the things that happen at an altar, and we will find this out as we find how altars work for us as New Testament believers, 
believers is that altars are places of rejoicing, places of praise and places of worship of God, places where our joy in God's faithfulness to us is expressed. Number seven, an altar is a place for the atonement of sins. The purpose of the altar really, the, the overriding purpose of the altar was to bridge the gap between God and man. It's instructive that the children of Israel hadn't done anything wrong. They had just received the commandments, but God already knew that they were not going to be able to keep those laws. There were 613 laws that they had to keep. God knew that these 10 commandments, those 613 laws that are part, going to be part of their culture, they will not be able to keep it. So I have to put in place something that can that will allow me that will allow them to make an atonement for the wrongs they're going to do so that I can forgive them if not I will have to destroy them so as soon as he gives them the law isn't this interesting he gives them the law you must not you must not you must not kill you must not bear false witness you must you must uh, you, you must not commit adultery he gives them all these laws and then almost simultaneously, literally immediately after, he gives them a way for them to make atonement when they fail. Because he knew that it is just a matter of time they are going to contravene the law. So an altar is a place for the atonement of sins. That's why the altar that was in the tabernacle, that was one of his sole purposes where the high priest would go in and make an atonement for himself and for the nation of the sins that they have committed. We will find out how this works for us as New Testament believers because the failure of the altars in really making atonement for the sins, because you see what the altars did was really cover the sins, but they never really removed the root cause of the sin. And we'll find out that the only way that could be done was for our Lord and Savior Jesus himself to come and become the altar uh, and become the sacrifice on the altar. Uh, but an altar is a place for the atonement of sins. Number eight, an altar is a place of rededication to God. You know, if you remember the story of Elijah, um, the children of Israel had gone astray. Uh, and God had to send Elijah. The nation was in apostasy. People had turned away from God. Uh, Jezebel had elevated the worship of Baal and all the other gods uh, above the worship of Jehovah. And so Elijah was sent by God and eventually he has a confrontation with the 450 prophets of Baal at Mount Camel. And then listen to what Elijah says to the people. First Kings the 18th chapter and the 30th verse. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And, and there is a need for us to repair altars that are broken down so that sacrifices that are acceptable to God can be put on those altars. Now we find out when the altars are our hearts, 
There's a work in our hearts that needs to be done by the Spirit of God to prepare our hearts to be altars for God. It was only after the altar had been repaired that the fire of God would fall. A lot of what people are asking for can't happen because the altars, the place of worship, the place that should release a sweet-smelling aroma to God is broken down. Um, it's a place of rededication. When we come to altars, we come to rededicate our lives. And I want to speak to someone out there. You've kind of gone astray. You know you're not burning like you used to. You're not on fire like you used to. You've entered a ritual. It has become a religion. The passion that you had for God is no longer there. You've, in a sense, turned away from your first love. This is, a pro this is a direct word from God to you. God is saying to you, come back to your first love. Repair that altar of your heart so that once again, the fire of God can fall on that altar. You've got caught up in life. You've got caught up in the things of life. You've got caught up in the pursuit of things. You're building a career. You're preparing your future. You're doing all the right things in a natural sense. But the altar of your heart has grown cold. The fire on that altar is literally ebbing away. It's almost put out. The, the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you, let that fire be lit again today by the Spirit of God. Come back to God. Repair that altar so that the sweet aroma that comes from that altar can come to God as it used to in times past. Number nine, an altar is a place for the fire of God to fall. In that same story about Elijah, after he had repaired the altar, the Bible says, in verse 36 and 37 of 1 Kings 18, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that these people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. As I was saying about the fire, how are people going to know that this is God? How are people going to know that God has his hand on our lives? How are people going to know that what we're doing is God? If it is powerless, if it has no fire, if it is routine, religious, if it is, it is full of drudgery, then people are not going to look to it. But if it is on fire for God, if it is burning hot, if it is pulsating with the Spirit of God, if it is dynamic with the power of God, if it is obvious, even going through difficulties and challenges that this is God, for this kind of grace could have come from nowhere else but God, then they will know that this is God. The Bible says in verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. It is time for the fire of God to fall again on our lives. It is time for our worship to have fire, our prayers to have fire. It is time for us to become 
become the flaming fire that God says we are. It is time for us to carry that fire of God. It's time for people to come into an environment and the environment changes because they've come in with the fire of God. It's time for people to be contagious with the things of God. It's time for people to speak few words that have power rather than many words that are powerless. Oh, it is time for us in this season to burn brightly so that the the burning, the light that comes from our burning illuminates the darkness. It is time for demons to tremble when someone comes into a place where demons are. It's time for the demons to flee, not because the person has said anything, but because the person that has come in is, is full of the fire of God and the demons and the darkness must recede when the light and the fire of God comes into a place. Number 10, an altar is a place of peace, a place of quiet, a place of reflection, a place to reset a place to recalibrate, a place to rest, a place to receive an assurance from God. Judges, the sixth chapter, verses 23 and 24. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. This was God speaking to Gideon. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and he called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still in Opa of the Abizarites. Now, he built an altar to God. It was at a time when there was turbulence in the nation. It was at a time when there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of worry. And he, Gideon, was also afraid and worried and anxious. He was a second-class citizen in the nation. He was being oppressed by the Midianites. So, at that time, he had the sense to approach God and build an altar unto God. What do we need in these times? As the pandemic ravages, uncertainty grips our future. We need to learn how to build altars to God. And the God, the Lord is peace. That's his name. Will come there and give us a peaceful, a quiet assurance as to his faithfulness. You know, there's nothing that I find more attractive than in the midst of a storm and in the midst of agitation to find someone who knows their God and knows that despite all these things that are happening around, that the God I serve is going to take us through. The peace within a storm, may that become a trait that is yours. The ability to hide in God in spite of all that is happening, may that be our portion in Jesus' name. An altar is a place of peace. An altar is a place of revelation, revelation of God. Genesis, the 12th chapter and the 7th verse. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. An altar is a place of revelation. And you know, if you have a revelation of God at an altar, it must be a it must part of that undergetting that revelation must be a revelation of the holiness of God. You know, as we begin to understand altars, let us be careful that the plight of Nadab and Abihu is not any any one of us don't find ourselves in that place. Because there are all kinds of altars, believe me. When I was looking into this, I just, I, I think I googled altars and all kinds of altars. 
Wicca witches altars, all kinds of altars came. Everybody has altars. Every religion has altars. They are altars. Because you see, an altar is a place where the spirit realm connects with the natural realm. And if if my bent in the spirit realm is towards the, 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 the area of darkness, I can still build altars where, where, where their powers connect with me here in the natural realm. So, but we must understand that as, as New Testament believers, we are talking about altars to Jehovah, altars to God. These altars are holy altars to a holy God. And listen to what happened to Nadab and Abihu as a warning to us. Le Leviticus, the 10th chapter, verses 1 to 3. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put the incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord. Some translations say strange fire, which he had not commanded. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Now you can imagine Aaron was the high priest. He was serving God, serving God with all his heart. And then one day they come and tell him that his children, who are training to be high priests, Nadab and Abihu, are dead. And he asked them, why did they die? And he says they put incense in their censers and burnt the incense to God. And a fire came from heaven and roasted all of them. Of course, any father would be angry. Nahum, Aaron was, Aaron was angry. But then he, this is what was said to him, that they came to me, the motive of their hearts was not right. It wasn't by glory. And they also came to me without being holy. And they came in disobedience. They disobeyed me. They didn't follow the right protocol. So I killed them. Now, thank God for grace. Thank God for Jesus. That we don't get just we don't get killed by God, but don't think that that the fact that we don't drop dead doesn't mean that there are no consequences for disobedience. We don't come to an altar of disobedience. We come to an altar of obedience, and we come to that altar to meet with a holy God. And so we come with our motives right. It's all about God's glory. We come there. Uh, by the word of God. We come by the spirit of God. We come by the blood of Christ. We'll look at all this for us as New Testament believers as we activate the altars of our hearts as New Testament believers. What did those boys do wrong? Well, what they did was they dabbled in things that were profane. They brought a strange fire. It was unrecognizable to God. God is a holy God. He couldn't recognize this profane fire that was coming towards him. It was unauthorized. It, it, it wasn't by the word of God. It wasn't prescribed by God. It, they didn't follow the protocol for coming to the presence of a holy God and they paid dearly uh, with their lives. And lastly, an altar is a place of blessings. When we activate altars correctly, when we offer sacrifices that are pleasing to God, when the aroma touch, reaches, reaches God's nostrils and he savors it, he, is, he, he just, without being able to help himself, because he daily loads us with benefits, his desire is to bless us, he releases a blessing. An altar is a place of blessings. You know, when you read him giving the account of, of, of the altars, he, he says in Exodus 20, he says, And my name 
I will come to you. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. We will, we will find out how to make sure that the altars that we raise are places that attract the blessings of God. Hallelujah and hallelujah. There isn't time, so we'll continue next week where we look at the specific instructions he gave as to how the altars were built as we prepare to activate the altars in our lives um, and as we prepare to take full advantage of the ultimate altar and the ultimate sacrifice so that we can fulfill God's plans and God's purposes. Amen and amen. Father, we just thank you and bless you for your word. Sweet Holy Spirit, we have shared, but we expect that the revelation of your word will come totally from you, Holy Spirit. Reveal, amplify the word that has been shared. Pull back the curtains. Give us a deep understanding of the power and significance of altars, Heavenly Father, as we prepare to activate altars, O oh God, in our lives as New Testament believers. And if there's anyone there out there who hasn't taken advantage of the altar that allows you to bridge the gap between you and Jesus, between you and God, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You haven't given your life to Jesus. You haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior. He's not directing the ship of your life. He's not stirring uh, the, your life in the way that it should go. I, and you want to do so right now. The Bible tells me he'll be knocking on the doors of hearts. And that if you open the door of your heart and allow him to come in, he will come in and fellowship with you. And so wherever you are in the world, you want to settle this issue, have an assurance about it. You want to know that you've opened the door of your heart. Why don't you do it this morning? How do I open the door of my heart? I hear someone ask simply by asking him to come into your life. And if you would like to do that, would you say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I open the door of my heart that your son Jesus might come in and fellowship with me. I accept him today as my Lord and my Savior. And in doing so, I thank you for receiving me into your family as a child of yours. My Heavenly Father, I ask that you will help me to live a life that is pleasing to you. I commit to turning away from anything that is sinful and embracing a life that will please you. Help me, Heavenly Father, by your Spirit to do so. I thank you for the gift of salvation that Jesus is. I receive him now as I declare that I am now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.